0: From WAMU 88.5 at American University in Washington, welcome to the Kojo Nnamdi Show, connecting your neighborhood with the world. I'm Michael Schaefer from Washingtonian Magazine, and I'm sitting in for Kojo. Coming up this hour, when you were in math class, did you study algorithms? I sure didn't. Not long ago, this seemed like a subject for computer science majors but these days we come face-to-face with algorithms all the time. Every time Netflix suggests a movie for you or a news website serves up a read-this-next link, it's an algorithm at work. Algorithms are the computer formulas that companies use to hoover up crumbs of data from all over the Internet and turn them into a picture of you. And that picture of you winds up determining just what kind of headlines, ads, and pictures the Internet is going to show you. For instance, you and I may both be reading the same story about the presidential race, but based on our browsing histories... Your version may feature a photo of Donald Trump, and mine might show Bernie Sanders. Algorithms are driving the Internet today. Sometimes they make life easier, like picking a great playlist or suggesting a good deal. But the digital data trail that helps Spotify figure out whether I like 80s hair metal can also shape what kind of job prospects or insurance rates I see online. And understandably, that freaks a lot of people out. Joining us for this Tech Tuesday discussion about how algorithms work, I'm talking to Brian Muller. He's the director of data science for Vox Media, and you were the former CTO and co-founder of OpBandit. Welcome yeah. to the show.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Uh, and Jeff Chester, he's the executive director of the Center for Digital Democracy. Thank you. Glad to have you. So, Brian, I want to help people. Before, before we get into sort of policy stuff people disagree about, I want to help people understand exactly what algorithms do. And I think your own experience can help us do that. You were the lead data scientist at Living Social, uh which was the coupon deal startup uh in its early days, and you examined who was buying what deal uh How'd that work and why was it
1: important sure so um at living Social, you know we offered we started off offering a, a deal per day within a city, and the idea was to provide um you know a fantastic local restaurant or spa or uh, another local business that you could go to. And to alert people to this through a daily email that everyone got. Now, as the uh, company grew, as the business grew, um, we had a lot of interest from merchants who wanted to uh, to become a part of it. And so we ended up having the opportunity to run lots of deals within a given area. If you think of Washington, D.C., you know, there's lots of neighborhoods. There's lots of, you know, you've got Northern Virginia. You've got Maryland as well. And um, we needed to be able to choose between all the different deals that we could offer Um, for each person that we are sending to and so it became very important to try to understand the types of deals that each individual might be interested in among all of the available deals that we could show them
0: so how do these algorithms differentiate one customer from the next
1: so when users sign up, you know, they give us um, information. They give us their email address. They create an account. They, um, you know, establish that they want to receive uh, daily deals. And um, sometimes we would ask additional information about their gender, their uh, particular neighborhood, um, or other information about particular types of things that they liked. Um, but for the most part, we get a lot of our information simply by looking at the types of things that they bought and that they looked at. And so if we saw that um If we saw that they enjoyed, say, for instance, lots of restaurant deals, then we might uh, opt to show them more restaurant deals in future emails.
0: Jeff, is this something we should be concerned about?
2: Yes, because there's a vast, invisible, non-accountable apparatus here in the United States and many other places uh, where the Internet flourishes that is constantly making decisions about you. Now, algorithms are used for many, many important things, how we will fight cancer and find the latest cures and great insights uh, for innovation and science. Clearly, uh, these formulas will help advance us. But there is a negative side to all this that really requires uh, scrutiny and, and regulation and better corporate responsibility. Just as you said, this, these recipes, these secret recipes are being used everywhere. What kind of credit card should I offer you, high rate or fair rate? Are you someone I should target for a payday loan because I know you're Hispanic or African-American and you shop and do certain things? Should I send you junk food ads because I know, in fact, that you're the vulnerable group and you're right next to a fast food restaurant? So decisions are being made about us that have tremendous consequences for our lives. And at the moment, unfortunately, very little is being done about it.
0: Is this the sort of thing that can be regulated or even should be regulated? You can join us by calling 1-800-433-8850, or you can email kojo at wamu.org. Or you can hit us on social media by uh, getting in
2: touch through our Facebook page or tweeting at us to at Kojo Show. Well, I just want the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights, which is the country's leading consortium of the major civil rights groups, put out an important set of principles about uh, two years ago, civil rights principles for the era of big data, and they warned about high-tech profiling. They, they warned that just as you be, we were able to, you know, know someone's race and prevent them from moving into a, a neighborhood uh, – still today but not too long ago that all this online information is being used to discriminate. So they they're calling for safeguards. The White House has said this is a problem. The Federal Trade Commission and the Consumer Financial Protection uh, Bureau acknowledge that this is an issue, but we need some action.
0: I mean, companies like Brian's put a whole lot of work and a whole lot of money into developing their own algorithms and it, it would be very difficult for business if they had to then reveal these to the world. How do you how do you well, find a the balance? These there?
2: are there's no secret sauce about this. These are business decisions and what's missing here is ethics, transparency, accountability and consumer control. And maybe it's not a problem about the restaurant deal of the day or even the book that or music that you're offered, although nothing could be de- dealt with in isolation today because all this data is constantly collected and aggregated with other data. But when we're talking about your finances, your health, your children, and the political system. The political campaigns, the special interest groups, are using these algorithms to collect information and target cons- target potential voters and influencers in ways that we don't know about. We need to have public accountability. We need to have some fair rules. And frankly, the regulators can come in now and tell the financial services industry and the FDA can tell the health industry there are some things you simply should not do.
1: Brian, this paints a pretty scary picture of what you do. Do you see it that way? No, absolutely not. And I think it 's very important to differentiate the difference between uh, data and algorithms. Uh, algorithms are simply instructions they're um, they 're a set of rules that you give a computer, you instruct it like what to do with certain information, and then what comes out of it can be something like a decision about who gets what email. Um, the data that that we're really talking about, which, you know, again, is separate from the actual process, the algorithms that decide things based on that data, is uh, something for which um, privacy rules do exist, things like health information, financial information. Um, and while it's true that, um, you know, say in Europe, there are certainly more uh, explicit privacy protections, I think that um, it's very important to, to also differentiate between cases in which uh, users actively want uh, specific personalization and recommendation. I can't imagine that anybody wants to sign into Spotify and hear music they don't like. I think people prefer to be able to uh, to establish relationships with businesses and then to, um, to be able to hear and see things that they enjoy. I don't think anybody would want to see something different.
0: I mean, you know, we've talked, I think there's been a lot of conversations in the last 20 years about privacy online, the amount of data you have to give up. I'm also interested in this question of what is the use of algorithms doing to our culture? Uh, you can determine a great deal about what you think a person will like, and you can steer them certain music or certain ideas or certain stories. Uh, There are people who think this means
1: this sort of the end of serendipity. Is that something that we should regret? Um, So serendipity is actually something that... Uh, people in my field strive to maintain. You don't want a situation in which, say, for instance, you sign into Netflix and because you've only watched action movies so far, you're a new user, say. That's the only type of movie that you see. That uh, element of serendipity is something that's very important for capturing, um, well, at Living Social, we called it surprise and delight, the idea that you're going to see something that perhaps you wouldn't normally be that interested in, but there's something about a particular deal, that surprise deal, mm-hmm. that, um, that you find delightful and that you might find enjoyable.
0: Well, let me put it another way. If Facebook thinks I'm a liberal and I'm not being served any stories or information that might challenge my point of view, uh, that's good for my experience and it's good for Facebook's bottom line because I enjoy it and I keep coming back there. Is that good for our democracy?
2: It's narrowing the discourse. It's narrowing the experiences that... you know, that come into our lives. And what's important about this topic, first of all, you can't separate algorithms from the big data collection that's going on, which every day gathers m- and uses much more of our information, our real-time lo- real location, what we spend in, in the grocery store, where we've just shopped, what our race is, all that information is used, and it's feeding into these algorithms, and it's now in real time making decisions about us. It's not like, wait a second, it's being done in milliseconds, these decisions by these invisible you <laughs> Un- unknown to us entities, but we're at the beginning of this process. It's only going to grow faster, much more profound over, over the next 10 years as more and more decisions are being made uh, by businesses using these fast computers about us and, the, and news organizations are using it, political campaigns are using it, and I do fear that we're going to be presented with a much narrower world, a world that in fact fulfills what we think it should be but does not give us access to the information and the dissonance that we need in our lives. But
1: but to be fair, uh, what Facebook found was that people are, in fact, very likely to engage on articles, uh, content that represents a different political belief than they hold. So it's in Facebook's interest to ensure that there is some amount of... Um, of uh, heterogeneity in the um, in the types of content that it produces, so the content that you see is never going to be one particular view and no other. Uh, people are very likely to engage in content that they disagree with, and so that 's something that like you will absolutely find and that 's something that Facebook openly talks about but so there was this this
0: to, to, to stick with culture for just a sec, there was this interesting exchange uh, this summer between Netflix and the uh, the writer and director Gina Prince bythewood she had made the movie called Behind the Lights. It's a love story. Um, and you'd think it's a love story, it's a music story, you'd, that you go to Netflix and you'll see suggested next movies to, you know, if you've liked this movie, you should watch this other movie, that they would recommend things like Notting Hill and so on. She goes there, looks at her movie, and sees that it is suggesting to her uh, comedy movies, sitcom reruns, all movies featuring black actors, as her movie did, uh, and she sort of got in this exchange with Netflix and said, "What gives my I made a love story? How come you're not suggesting other love stories and it was the algorithm at work. How did that work, and did that work right
1: well if it's uh i mean it all depends on what you consider right i mean if you're a uh, somebody going to Netflix looking for um for love story movies, then you know not seeing that one would probably if it's a if it's a movie that people enjoy then you know that's something that needs to be changed. I think the idea here is that um you know there 's never going to be a perfect uh, ability for machines to capture all the information about movies or about people about the items or the people who are who are looking to see them and that 's a a uh, a constant um, i mean that 's the entire field that i 'm in is one to try to improve that area so you 're certainly going to end up in situations where um, certain uh, portions of or certain aspects about a film are going to be emphasized mm-hmm. in an algorithm that may not make as much sense, and maybe that 's something that needs to be tweaked but the idea is that um, overall, a computer is capable of taking into account way more different points of information than if you had a human trying to categorize every single movie that was coming through. But well, we need
2: to put the human back into the equation. What these businesses are doing is that they're seeding decision-making in order to maximize profit and revenue, and you're going you see that really in Facebook. I mean, you see Facebook changing, you know, behind the screen, so to speak, to please its advertisers and deliver the personalization that will make Facebook work better for advertisers with its customers. Companies are not taking the responsibility about what are, is the ultimate consequence of, of these algorithms. And that's why there's an important new book written by uh, University of Maryland Law Professor Frank Pasquale, The Black Box Society, The Secret Algorithms That Control Money and Information That People Should Read. Uh, professor Pasquale's book exposes how this system affects your daily life, your, your credit, your employment, and what we need to do about it.
0: Do these companies, Facebook or Netflix, even actually know what their algorithms do? Yes, they do.
2: They absolutely do because decisions are made about what those algorithms should do based on the maximization of profit. Do they have a microscope on each and every one of them? I doubt it. But they need to have a set of rules and and fair practices about them.
1: I think I'm failing to to see something here. Is there a suggestion that... Netflix's recommendation shouldn't be as good? Is there, a re- is there like a belief that a human should be on the other side selecting every movie that you see? Well, let's
2: take like a look at this film, uh, which I'm afraid I'm, I'm not acquainted with. Uh, the, 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 here, here it seems to me, and I don't know for sure, but it seems to me that Netflix may be falling into kind of a classic Hollywood approach to, to independent cinema and, 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 and cinema that reflects uh, div- diversity by by pegging it to more popular genres that can drive rentals or streams versus acknowledging that it's unique and important. And that means that's something that Netflix needs to revisit, its approach to its business model and algorithms.
0: Well, it seems to me what goes on it's pretty simple. They... Um other people who liked this movie. Here are some other things they liked, and this it it nothing nefarious. It's but this is our
2: bias as a society. Well, maybe, but we don't know, and that's why, in fact, Netflix should, in fact, make more public uh, these algorithms, including, frankly, be interesting on on independent films and. And films of color.
1: But, but you're suggesting that they actually take an editorial role, that they choose which types of films are more important than others. And I think that that's, in fact, perhaps more dangerous than simply allowing people to choose for themselves mm-hmm. what they consider to be a good movie. No, I'm
2: not saying that, but, it, but, but what I'm saying is that to the extent that businesses are making decisions, for example, that you should get a high-rate loan or a payday loan, all that needs to be transparent and reexamined.
0: All right, let's continue this conversation after a short break. Stay tuned. Welcome back. I'm Michael Schaefer sitting in for Kojo Namdi and I'm talking to Brian Muller from Vox Media and Jeff Chester from the Center for Digital Democracy. We're talking about algorithms, uh, what we gain and what we lose when we trade data, and what the formula is inside the black box that determines what kind of ads and information and pictures we are served. Brian, you, uh, at, you worked at a firm called OpBandit, and that allows editors to change the way a story looks with the idea that it might reach more people who are clicking around the internet. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Sure, so at Op-Ended, uh we had a product that allowed editors to put in multiple versions of headlines or photos for a given story, and then we could figure out which of those versions worked better within different audience segments and show those versions more often. So we've got a lot of callers on
0: the line. John and Olney uh, is uh, not averse to algorithms. John, you're on the air.
2: Oh, I guess right there you pointed it out.
0: Uh, okay, uh, Annie in Silver Spring is using the Do Not Track feature. Tell, tell us about that, Annie.
1: Yes, Yes. hi. My uh, comment about that is about the users who do not wish to be tracked. And will the, um, the website that added the data, how much they honor
2: the wishes of the user who do not want to be tracked?
0: Jeff, is this something that that people should people who are
2: afraid about their privacy should take some comfort from? First, we should know that there really are no you know national u s online privacy protections uh, that can stop this kind of data collection and and use Children under twelve have some protections it 's a law that my organization helped uh, get through, but the minute you turn thirteen in this country, all your information can be collected and is being used. All the time to target you, including through these uh, algorithms, which is why we want the Obama administration to and the Congress to act on, on online uh, privacy, do not track is not adopted by uh, you know most companies, and indeed people are in using ad blockers, which are very promising. The Electronic Frontier Foundation has a new one that I urge people uh, to, to to look at at eff uh, org but most People, or many people, are not going to have a choice. For example, if you want the discounts at Walmart, you have to download that app of theirs so that they know what you buy, and then they'll pass on discounts to you. In exchange for getting those discounts, you have to give them all your information. So I'm afraid that these tools can be helpful, but but for most people, they will not be practical.
0: Why not practical? I mean, you get you get a better experience on the internet. You get better things suggested to you. You
2: get coupons. Brian's no, I uh, meant I meant uh, I meant using Do Not Track or ad blocking. Right, Right.
0: but I mean, I guess we to to get back to the question of of uh, cost benefit analysis. Brian, your guys, uh, your firm, Vox, uh, uh, is designed to reach people where they actually read, which is in social media. Um, and do so based on all of the things that those social media channels have learned about them. Uh, I think you'd probably argue that that makes for a better experience.
1: Yeah, um, although to be clear, a lot of those choices are made, say, uh, by Facebook. So mm-hmm. in other words, if uh, if we set, put out content on a Facebook page um, then only those people who have liked it, and then on top of that, Facebook makes decisions about who sees it. But yeah, the idea is to, to get the content out to where people are able to read it and where the people are reading things in general.
2: But, but part of the problem is that it's not just the data that may be collected here by uh, 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 Brian's company or even by Facebook. Facebook and Google and all the others, whether it's Wal- Walmart or even your, maybe your local grocery store, They're pooling this data. They're sharing this data. They're buying and selling this data. Your profile is growing every day, and you have no idea who has access to it and who is using it. So, yes, there are isolated cases where you may, in fact, be treated fairly. But today, data is a commodity. It's being used and sold without an individual having any control over
0: it. We got this email from Barry and Ashburn, who writes... Well, I don't like the idea of being offered higher prices based on my data. I do like the idea of getting ads that are about things I'm interested in, and not a bunch of stuff that clogs my screen and I have no value to me. Um, I don't. I, I actually. It I would wonder. Say, are ads, our digital ads, all that good? I, I bought some shoes online a little while ago, and I keep seeing shoe ads, but I already have shoes.
2: Well, uh, I think it's 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 a mistake to see it just as an ad it's part of a uh, comprehensive process of of understanding you of analyzing you of tr- of tracking you and then targeting and influencing you you know to make you a customer or or to to influence your decision in in some way so it's much more profound than an ad and it's all and and today an ad can easily be an offer okay it's an ad for a credit card for a certain rate or it's it's an ad for a loan or it's an ad for a health treatment and you click on it and something happens that you may or may not like so it's much more profound than just an advertisement today
1: but I think that that's something that a lot of people appreciate. They appreciate the ability of going online and seeing content, seeing ads, seeing things that they may be interested in that they're, like, actually potentially interested in, not something that is, um, you know, thrown out into the wild. Think of, think of the alternative, uh, first of all. Like, if you didn't have the ability to... Um, to give up information about yourself, or to establish relationships with companies like Netflix, or um, if you didn't see relevant content online, like that experience is definitely going to be degraded. And the cases in which you can, um, you can, you know, if you see, uh, for instance, the the Walmart uh, app. Um, example. Like, you have the ability not only, like, yeah, you're, you know that you're giving up information, you're typing it into a form when you sign up, but what you get out of that is the ability to see, to see products that you're more likely to be interested in. Now, that's something that makes people's lives easier.
0: What is the strangest news story or product suggestion an algorithm has ever chosen for you? We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us uh, by calling 1-800-433-8850 or emailing kojo at org. You can also hit us on social media through
2: our Facebook page or by a tweet to at Kojo Show. But it's also defining your reality. Uh, you're, you're on the street, you're in a store, it's at Christmas and all of a sudden the person on their mobile phone gets an offer, an ad for a payday loan and they need that money to buy that present. This, is, this, is a, this re- really happens. Or the Walmart, Walmart has a deal with Coca-Cola. There's a national obesity crisis. You open up the app, yeah, you may get a discount but they're selling you you know full sugared Coke and it's such a great discount. And then information is being used to target you further and and further. So it has consequences. Not everything is bad, but there are things that are troubling that we need to address now. But
1: again, I, I don't want to assign some sort of nefarious intent to this. Like, the idea is to show you products that you're more likely to purchase, not products that lead to the downfall of American society. Well, it's,
2: it's about influencing your behavior on very profound and deep w- ways. And do it, look, today they can track a single person from device to device, right? The pro, The profile that they have of you incorporates more data than ever before. And you're sold in real time via invisible auctions in 40 milliseconds to financial companies to food companies and you have no idea why you're being auctioned and sold like you were chattel instead of a person in fact well, I, don't,
0: I don't think that's quite fair that chattel is that, person. Well,
2: exactly because that's what so it's a technical term but that's what programmatic advertising which, the, which everyone is doing is about but, but it's but about selling everyone you
0: in the media and sells know, advertising based on what they know of their audience it just so happens that in uh, digital forms, you know much more about your audience.
2: Well, but in fact, you know when you're say when you're seeing a a, a print ad, right? You, you're seeing you're seeing it, and you, you used to be you used to be seeing a online ad, let's say in the New York Times, and that was an ad that would go to a demographic. But now this is an ad for you. And the New York Times and the Guardian, which are great journalistic institutions, and we need to support them through advertising, in fact, have this vast data mining function that that operates all the time. And they've never really been transparent with their readers and users about what's going on. They're data brokers so th- this this is a problem that, in fact, the journalism community has not adequately addressed the power that the data that they now use and how it needs to be uh, used responsibly
1: so uh, publishers um, aren 't necessarily the ones who are cho- who are saying like like this is not a core competency of publishers to know." All the information they can about each individual uh, person coming to a page and looking at an ad—they're not the ones actually selecting the ads. Like these are like the ads that you see are the result of using a whole host of different um, third-party products that uh, help monetize the viewership that the publisher gets. And if you look at the privacy policies for every major online publisher, they list the uh, the relationships they have who's providing the ads, and how you can opt out of uh, seeing any sort of personalization on the advertising side. That's
2: not true, Brian, because if you look at the New York Times and its relationship with Crux, K-R-U-X, that allows it, in fact, to collect all this detailed profile data of people, you would never find out from the New York Times privacy policy it uses Crux. And very few people opt out. The industry self-regulatory program is is considered a failure. So, and- so hang
1: on, I, I can't speak for the New York Times, but I can speak for Vox Media, and in fact, in fact, if you do go to our privacy policy, then you will see uh, a link that will go to a list of every single partner that we have.
2: A link. One link. You will not list every partner? and no, will we you do.
1: List? There's a link on every single one as to how you can opt out of tracking. So well, which
2: news
0: or commercial outlets do you think do the best job of recommending things you actually like? Uh, I'm sitting with Brian Mueller from Vox Media and Jeff Chester from the Center for Digital Democracy, and we would love to hear from you. You can reach us by calling 1-800-433-8850 or emailing kojo at wamu.org. Brian, uh, you know, in my line of work, I'm a magazine editor, uh, and uh, most people like me who uh, produce content about uh, news. spend a lot of time thinking about how to win algorithms, how to reach the people they want, how to write headlines and so on that are designed to be shared that will then create an effect that lots and lots and lots of people see the thing that you have written. How successful can people be at gaming these companies? Uh,
1: <clears throat> gaming gaming the, the companies that are providing the advertising? Gaming the ga-
0: – no, I was thinking about Facebook where oh. most of,
1: most readers sit. Sure. Um, so, uh, like, in terms of how the media companies might be able to game the system to get their articles, yep. more more readership, so, I mean, you, you certainly see uh, a lot of uh, new new media, uh, new online-only digital, you know, like BuzzFeed is a great example, um, who, you know, certainly uh, really contributed quite a bit to the uh, writing new types of headlines, like the 10 things you never believe about uh, the, you know, something, uh, fill in the blank. Um, and that's that's something that we actually uh, helped um, uh, give publishers the ability to to try those different types of things with op bandit as a way of um, of editors trying to see whether or not there are particular ways to describe stories or particular types of photos uh, that may uh, appeal to an audience more and might, may get them to uh, be more interested in seeing the actual story. And someone could say this creates a tremendous power
0: imbalance between people who write, create, report the news and the one big company where everyone uh, prowls around looking for links what uh, if what if they were to ah, a- so abruptly change their algorithm
1: sure so so like that's a that's a concern that certainly exists on the publisher side um, especially as more and more traffic is coming from especially Facebook certainly more than any other social network um, Trying to um, to have a strong relationship is is something that's important on both sides. I mean, for Facebook, they value their their content producers because they don't produce any content themselves. So the thing that the thing of value that they're able to provide is content produced by publishers. Publishers on the other side need Facebook for the reach, and so it's a sort of um, a very interesting relationship between the two. Um, so, do you think citizens should be worried about getting their news
0: from sources that are in such a uh, Powerless position vis-a-vis big firms like Facebook.
2: I think we need to be worried about f- Facebook and and Google. I mean, they are part now of an industry that increasingly collects and uses uh, a, a data uh, for decision making. But they are the dominant companies, and they have a vast impact. On on what we and what we see and and what we think and they've not been held uh, accountable and Facebook's move especially into news and information is a concern because once again if you look behind the screen at Facebook. If you look at what go to Facebook Studio, which is their site on Facebook for advertisers, you'll see a whole different story. It's not about the user, it's about the big brand, it's about the advertiser. We have to be worried here though about the use of algorithms in terms of discrimination of knowing so much about your income and your race and and your attitudes that, in fact, you are not treated well in in the marketplace or you're ignored. As Professor Joe Turoff, who has a book about this in part, says, you're considered waste. The data's looked at you, and you're not even worth offering a credit card to, for example, because you're a low-income consumer or unemployed. That's where the national conversation needs to be, how this system can discriminate.
0: Libby in Washington has been holding for quite a while, and she wants to talk about the, public responsibility of, uh, the public's own responsibility for creating algorithms.
1: I'm a little disappointed that in this conversation you're not mentioning at all the responsibility of the consumer. Um, we choose to download apps to our smartphones. We choose to have smartphones. And any time you download an app, you have to accept the terms and conditions Most of us just click on it and don't even read it. But, you know, I'm nearly 70 years old, and when I was a kid, I looked forward to Saturday morning so I could watch Crusader Rabbit, and half of that show was advertising from sugared cereal companies. I mean, this is nothing
2: new. Uh, People who have products to sell are going to try and reach demographics that they think will buy their products. Brian, do
1: you think this is something new? Uh, no, no, I don't. I mean, it's uh, this is simply an extension of what it means to do marketing, simply an extension of what it means to go where your customers are and to make sure that you're, um, you're addressing the right ones. I mean, there was a mention earlier about print advertising and um, the types of ads that you're gonna see in say, the New York Times in New York City is very different than the types of ads you're gonna see in print if you live like where I come from in South Carolina. Like the types of things that you're gonna see are different even if it's not something like, this is simply an extension of that where you're, you're adjusting your type, the type of marketing, and the types of advertising based on the types of people who are going to be seeing it.
2: Jeff, you're but shaking it's, your but, but, you know, in one way it's an evolution, but it's also some, something new. Because this is ultimately about creating an ad an experience a set of experiences for you personally. This is not just one ad that you that you saw on a television program. This is an ad that learns about you. This is an ad that follows you from device to device. This is a, this is an ad that makes you offers. This is an ad that influences the news and information you see. Apps are not all of a sudden out there and we download them, there's a whole vast system of what they call app discoverability. Just go and look for app discoverability Facebook and you'll see Facebook sells its services so that the app always shows up in in front of you. These things are being orchestrated. There's a design that the people need to know more about.
1: Yeah, there's, there's the design, but it's again not nefarious. It's one where like, of course I want to see advertising that's more relevant to things that I'm interested in. It's about that's collecting
2: a- all your information without you being able to really decide what information could be gathered and use, including your race and your income and that's, your location. That's a
1: completely different issue. Like that the was, issue of how the how the company gets the data is one where like it could be entirely opt in, where I choose to give the company information. Like in the case of Living Social, if I sign up and select categories that I'm interested in, the source of the data is one. Like granted, that's a that's a conversation in terms of like how the data gets there. The question then of how it's used though is something entirely different. Well, but you offer them a deal, I, you see. Right? And, I, and I think that's the
0: question the of what the what you do with all this data you Hoover up and. What formula you apply to it and what that leads to in our culture is sort of an interesting one that is slightly at odds or slightly at an angle to the question of uh, our privacy vis-a-vis big companies. Uh, Heather Noble has tweeted, uh, being a 30-year-old woman, I've gotten ads for plastic surgery, weight loss programs, dating websites, and egg freezing. Is this a bad thing?
2: Well, what data have they collected and, and and how are they using that data? Are they selling that data? Are people making decisions about uh, uh, th- this person that will have consequences uh, to her in, in, the, in the long term? Are data brokers looking at that? You know, companies are constantly looking at uh, what we say online on social media, and they're analyzing what we say and who influences us, and they're using all that information to target us. So it can have consequences, certainly so, when it c- comes to health. The consequence she's experienced, via, at least according to the tweet, is that she's been served some ads uh, in these profile, ads may or may not be In her useful. profile, in her profile, mm-hmm. it may not be. But in her profile, it says she has some interest. In, on, on depression or cancer or pain, and we at the moment don't know really what happens to that data profile. Who's accessing it? How it may be used? How it ultimately may even affect how she searches and what other ads show up? And that's what's missing: this kind of transparency and control.
1: But but like Twitter is entirely public. If she's put that information out there, she's basically put herself on display for the entire world. Well, but like we, to say that it's to say that it's then a bad thing for somebody to say like, oh, given this information that you shared with the entire world. I think you might be interested in these things. Like, you, you can't ascribe some sort of, like, bad uh, quality You're to listening that.
0: to The Kojo Nnamdi Show. I'm Michael Schaefer from Washingtonian sitting in for Kojo. We'll continue our conversation about algorithms in a minute. Stay with us. Welcome back. I'm Michael Schaefer, sitting in for Kojo Namdi. I'm talking with Brian Muller from Vox and Jeff Chester from the Center for Digital Democracy, and we're talking about algorithms. We got an email from Josh and Adams Morgan, subject line, ferret. It says, to help my wife prank a friend, I ordered a ferret online and had it sent to her. For weeks, I got ferret-related ads. Yuck. Uh, One thing this says to me is that the uh, advertisers are maybe not getting what they're paying for if they're paying a lot to uh, reach ferret-interested people.
1: Yeah, I mean <laughs> most people who buy ferrets are interested in ferret supplies, I imagine, uh to maintain the ferret. Um so do
0: you could is there a way you could write an algorithm that would ferret out the uh sorry, uh the um the people who are buying them as pranks from the people who are actually genuinely ferret interested?
1: Uh, I mean, this this may be a, uh, a fairly widespread cultural phenomenon that I'm simply unaware of, but uh, I doubt that it's that often that somebody's buying a ferret as a prank as opposed to, like, an actual honest attempt to get a new pet, but... Um you know, it's, uh, it's something that presumably will come out in the data. So, in other words, if lots and lots and lots of people who buy ferrets also then buy ferret supplies, then it's a pretty good bet that somebody buying a, a new ferret is also going to be interested in new supplies. So, if it's something where, like, people buy ferrets and then never buy anything for them, then, you know, probably that's something that's going to be picked up as, as something that's a prank. And uh, I wonder what happens to the ferrets afterwards.
2: But I think we should be, you know, uh, not necessarily worried about the ferrets, but we should be worried about the ads and the products and services based on our most sensitive information, our financial information, our health information, you know, what our kids spend, spend, money, spend money on. And if you want to look behind the curtain, I tell, always tell people, go to the website Think with Google. That's the website that Google has for its advertisers. And that's where you're going to understand that it's a much more complicated process and how they target you for financial products and health uh, products. And uh, that's why the Electronic Privacy Information Center has called for algorithmic transparency. We need to open the system up, especially for the products and services that can harm us in our lives.
0: So Lauren has tweeted, why the focus on advertising? What about algorithms driving medical research, student loan rates, facial recognition, etc.? There's a lot of places where this kind of technology is able to do really, really cool things.
1: Yeah, a great example is is Watson, which um, the IBM you know supercomputer, which is perhaps one of the most uh, advanced algorithms uh, that we have, which is able right now to diagnose lung cancer at a ninety percent accurate rate, which is. Typically, uh, most doctors, uh, oncologists, are able only to get fifty percent. So this is like this represents a huge increase, and I don't like that actually relies on patient data. Now, all of that, of course, has to be opt in in order or anonymized for IBM to be able to use it. But I don't think um, anybody would say that that's a uh, a poor use of medical information to be able to better diagnose lung cancer. Um, these are, you know, these are beneficial things for us. And while I do agree that, you know, uh, certain care needs to be taken in terms of how the data is collected, I think that in terms of the algorithms themselves, um, that there is absolute benefit.
2: Look, the, the marketers, you know, and now it's it's you know, all the Fortune 1000 companies and the Googles and Facebooks, they're all using these techniques, clearly there are going to be tremendous benefits from the use of computer decision making. We are going to find uh, a, a cures to the major health problems, but like anything in life, it needs to be in a balance, and there are there's another side to it. So for example, if you're a smoker and you search online for kind of smoking AIDS, or my God, you're looking for a, a, a place to, to, to see a doctor about it, that information, that's marketing health information, that is not protected by the privacy law. It's not protected by HIPAA, and all of a sudden you're going to get offers for all kinds of health services. That health information may be accessed uh, by others. So are you saying that in theory an insurer could then determine based on that that
0: I am a smoker and I should be charged a higher rate? Potent-
2: potentially. Exactly. Has that happened? Do we have any evidence that that's happened? We don't have ev- any evidence yet, but we now know in fact that insurers are collecting this data to make decisions about what rates you should pay if you volunteer. What, what we worry about, I think is that without fair practices and regulations, that more and more deci- that more and more decisions about you that will have consequences about what you pay in in the marketplace and how you are treated will be done without your full awareness and, and control, and they, that it will be unfair. We already have studies like Harvard Professor Latanya Sweeney's study that showed that if you had a a minority name, an African American name, for example, the search ad that search ads that would appear here would would suggest that somebody had been in jail so we already have and we certainly have those payday loan examples where people you know have been profiled and they and and offered these 20 30 40 percent loans so we have these cases and that's why we need the government to act the federal trade commission is supposed to come out with reports soon about this kind of scoring that goes on which is part of the algorithms how decisions are being made about your finances
1: brian would that kind of action change the way your company does business no. Um, and, and I can, you know, speak certainly, I think, a little bit more um, to uh, what we're doing at Living Social, uh, where users were choosing to give us information about what they were doing. I think in general, though, um, certainly there are, like, you can point to, an ex- I'm sure, point to examples where um, there has been, you know, racism or classism that has uh, decisions that have been made poorly based on information about people. But at the same time, like, you know, while that may exist, knowing somebody's credit history when you're giving them a loan is like something that is perfectly valid. Knowing that somebody is a smoker when you're offering them health insurance, like that seems like something that, that, um, you know, that might be important for the insurer. Uh, and that sort of information, you know, in and of itself is um, is something that, that is not bad. The use of it, perhaps, could be used uh, for, um, you know, for these, these bad examples that you've given. But the, the data itself, if it's applicable for the type of thing that the, the person is trying to buy, uh, I think that that's, you know, that's something that reasonably is asked for now. But me, I think... Let me give you guys a
0: scenario. Um, okay. Just to take it in a slightly... Because, I, I, again, I, I, I've I feel like we have talked a lot about uh, the kinds of data we give up, and I'm really interested in the thing that no one really knows, which is what's inside the black box with the formula that says what they're going to do with the data. Uh, Facebook, for instance, it could determine pretty reasonably what your political affiliation is, and it could push you a, hey, it's election day, remember to vote. Uh, And it could also decide, well, we don't want to push
2: it to him because we don't like the way he's probably going to vote. Is there any law against that? Not that I know of, uh, which is why, in fact, we need to, and it's one of the tougher areas to regulate and maybe why we're not going to where it's hard to get privacy uh, legislation because all the political groups are using it. And Obama campaign was famously using Facebook to target voters. All the campaigns are are using Facebook. You could
0: argue that that was a great thing. All these people were brought into the process. We
2: need to have a set of national policies to govern algorithms and digital marketing for these very important issues in our lives involving uh, our, our politics, our health, and our finances, and certainly including the use of of race, all this needs to be transparent, and the industry has to step up to the plate and develop f- fair p- marketing p- uh, principles and allow people to make decisions about whether that data should be collected in the first place and how it should be used. But,
1: but just to be clear, like, would you say that there should be a law preventing Facebook from being able to like target uh, one group of people with a uh, with a notice that says that you should vote and simply not targeting another group? Because I'm I'm completely. Uh, at a loss when I try to think of like what such a law would look like or how you could go about saying that like you are able to say one thing to one group of people and not something else to another group of people.
2: Well, first of all, I think we need, need to understand what both the campaigns and Facebook and Google, and Google are doing uh, in terms of their, their political marketing. What data sets are being deployed? What messages are being associated uh, with them? Well, you know, are, are they are they using race and income? You know, it's very hard, in fact, to kind of track campaign commercials and statements nowadays because, in fact, they're increasingly personalized. And we need to make the system more accountable yeah. to the, to the public in a democracy.
1: As someone who's actually used Facebook advertising, uh, like you... As the advertiser, as somebody with an ad you want to display, like you have a choice as to who you can direct the ad to. That's not something that Facebook is making a decision for you on. That's not an algorithm that's controlled on the
2: back end. It's something that you can explicitly set. For, for some people, but some people are able to work. If you're a big enough advertiser, you're able to work very closely with Facebook and get a much, much better deal. And Facebook is your partner, which is why, once again, you have to look you know, behind the screen at the wizard there and see what they're telling their best customers because that's, in fact, the deal that's happening,
1: but but again, like there's not something inherently wrong with giving an advertiser the ability to directly target specific people in Facebook.
2: I think it is. I th- I think it is. I then, think. Then you're pe-
1: suggesting that there should be a world in which you only see ads that are irrelevant look, to if, you. If
2: you look at Facebook's data partners, right, and how much data they collect on individuals and how they use that data, people need to be able to determine. In a more effective way, how Facebook is using people's data than they are today, but, and certainly but that people
1: are not getting data out of it. Like you have no. to understand that, like. What happens is that, like, you give your information to Facebook, and then Facebook can provide an interface to advertisers to be able to say, like, who would you like to target? But the advertiser doesn't get, like, the output of that to be able to see exactly who clicked and who looked at an ad or who bought. Well, but
2: the advertiser is actually able to get the response of the individual and then collect their data. So but it's, that's it's, on the other end. Yeah, but it's kind of a canard. It's a game that, look, we don't want to get into debating regulating Facebook. What we need to have is a system where these algorithms are transparent and fair to people. I'm talking to Brian
0: Muller from Vox Media and Jeff Chester from the Center for Digital Democracy. Andrew in Arlington has been holding for an awfully long time. Thanks for being patient, Andrew. Uh,
2: it's my pleasure. Great show. Um, so my question, I guess, is mostly for Jeff. I appreciate that he seems to be trying to fight the good fight here. But uh, what he's done so far is really tell us a lot about what he's worried about, and a lot about what might happen. And he's suggested a lot of really vague legislation. What he hasn't done is provided me with an example of a specific instance where someone was harmed. Like, is that happening? Well, yes, can it's you name uh, Someone, look, I cannot give you. Look, I cannot give you an individual name. All right, but we there are there are cases. But I can tell you, for example, in the payday loan case that there are people who in fact have been made these real-time offers because they fit into this algorithm of low-income consumer who can be charged high rates. That is happening in the marketplace uh, today and that is unfortunate. Your health information is being used in ways to influence you you know, inappropriately uh, around certain health conditions. That's happening in the marketplace, whether it's about about cancer or, or terrible uh, pain and other uh, conditions. I can tell you that the- that, uh, look, there are examples here. Now, what we need is legislation, especially around finance and health right, and race but, uh, that uh, restricts the amount uh, that, that gives people the ability to control the information and, frankly, stops companies from collecting all this information in the first place. We have a digital data collection arms race in this country, and, and that's part of the problem. Jeff, speaking specifically
0: about algorithms rather mm. than data collection… Uh, to Andrew's point, and thanks for calling, Andrew, what specifically would a piece of legislation look like that would regulate
2: the algorithm itself? Well, the legislation would say that, in fact, these algorithms must be uh, in in certain markets, f- finance and health, let's say, um, need to uh, uh, reflect certain practices. Um, for example, about the the use of race and the use of income and that, in fact, those algorithms need to be evaluated by regulators. That all financial Algorithms need to be reviewed. It could be done on a confidential basis by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Or marketing algorithms related to, to, to youth need to be evaluated by the Federal Trade Commission so that these expert agencies can determine what is in the secret sauce, if there are in fact problems, and tell industry then that they have to fix it.
1: But if you're if you're taking out the ability to take let's let's say income for instance out of um, out of the equation, then that means that like I, who certainly cannot afford a Lamborghini, am going to be seeing ads for things I can't afford.
2: Well, but they may but you, they may not, may not be able
0: to use your race and your location and your income. I'm Michael Schaefer, sitting in for Kojo. I've been sitting here talking with Brian Muller and Jeff Chester about algorithms. Thanks for listening. WAMU 885 is your listener supported NPR news station in the greater Washington, D.C. region. You can support the Kojo Namdi Show and all the regional coverage you value by becoming a member today. Click the donate button at WAMU.org and thanks.